Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 038. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Welcome back to the Veterinary Project Podcast. Dr. Mikey Bug, Dr. Jonathan Light, we're at it again. What's going on? Oh, Johnny, I really love your intros. Um, closing on that apartment, I've mentioned a few times the 8plex on Friday. So that that's the most pressing thing in, in my world right now. Uh, signing all the documents tomorrow and then meeting the contractors, uh, the roofers on Saturday to get rolling on the renovation. So that's rolling day one after close. Fantastic. When you look at closing a deal of that size, there's a lot of people that are listening to this that have no idea what that entails. How long have you been working on this deal and what's, what's it taken to get to this point? I think this one was two months, but this one happened fast. Um, many other apartment building deals by the time you talk with the vendor, like they can take over a year to come to like terms. Uh, this one moved really fast, like quick offer, quickly accepted onto the lawyers. Um, what's interesting is the seller is actually acting as the bank as well. So there's no bank involved on this deal, which really makes things more efficient because it's just two people negotiate, hammer out the terms, give it to the lawyers, sign it and you're done. So cool to listen to the creativity that you have learned and experienced over the years. And I've got to know you as you've evolved for anybody out there that wants to understand that, what he's just talking about, because I sure as heck didn't understand vendor financing and what that looked like. Reach out to Mike, pick his brains. He's been down this path in single family quads. And now, you know, into the larger apartments, build outs, it's worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about it because I think it's, like, I know it's such a powerful tool for financial success. And that's kind of what's inspired that what we're going to get into here today. Um, before we dive in, fill us in on the vet clinic. Where are we at? How are things coming? Yeah, things are coming really well. So we have uh, five team, five or six team members now fully on board, uh, signed, sealed contracts, all the rest of it. Um, practice manager, myself, and my wife had our first kickoff large call this last Monday. Lots of tasks, lots of vision boards in terms of where we're going um, to get execution happening. Really excited. We sat down social media this morning, um, build out a website. Now we're getting into protocols and everything to do regulatory. Um, and at the same time, build out continues. So construction and everything that goes on with that, a lot happening on site. My plan is to get some more pictures onto Instagram uh, for everybody to be able to see. Uh, we are still in the process of looking for one more full-time veterinarian, uh, which is really exciting. So we're going to be starting off, uh, which is, you know, some would consider a big risk, but I don't think so at all. 
especially considering what we're seeing in the vet space um, as two FTEs right off the start um, and being able to support that through our support team. So lots of action happening day in, day out. Yeah. And just, uh, I'm sure everyone knows, but just to clarify FTE full-time equivalent. So you're that you're opening like day one with two full-time equivalent veterinarians running. That is correct. And that's not including me either. And, and you said you're, uh, you're sort of o- overflow, right? Like you'll bridge the gap until you can bring on that, that either two and a half or number three. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So pretty exciting times to say the least. Yeah, man. Yes. Yep. So looking at today, let's move on forward here. Uh, An exciting short podcast, a place where uh, I think the both of us have really good experience, still learning. Welcome to the world of debt. And we're going to talk all things debt. Now, Mike, tell me a little bit about why you wanted this to be part of our conversation today. Yeah. So that nasty four-letter word. So the, the main reason is when people hear the word debt, usually um, what I see back mostly is a negative reaction, right? People kind of cringe and we're taught in so many areas of life that debt is bad. And here we are, when I look at both you and I, we are using debt as a tool in, in kind of a big way to propel ourselves forward. Now you're using debt to to build and open a business. I'm using debt to acquire uh, a real estate asset, but debt is still a tool that we're using. So I just wanted us to have a conversation about debt. My goal in this conversation for the veterinarians listening is hopefully to just maybe challenge them on how they view debt and ideally, I would like to start to, to be able to see how they can use it as a tool. So that's why I thought we would dive into this. Excellent. And really, we could spend a full hour, hour and a half in the background of what debt is and the different forms of debt. And really, for our listeners now, we don't need to do that. But if we look at the overall descriptor of debt as it relates to veterinary medicine, the most often comment that we hear is student debt. Would you, Mike, and I'm putting you on the spot here. We didn't talk about this in pre. Would you consider student debt, good debt, bad debt? And how do you define good debt, bad debt? Holy man, you're off script and you're throwing me under the bus because now all our listeners are going to hate us or hate me. Um, Man, that is a tricky one because for most people, it's probably a necessary evil. So if you have the dream of becoming a veterinarian, and it costs X amount of dollars. Um, that's what it is. You know, you need to pony up the cash, get to whatever city or school is offering the veterinary medicine degree, pay the tuition, pay the living costs, put in the work, and come out the other side. Honestly, if you are asking me if it's a good debt, my honest opinion on the amount of debt you incur to become a veterinarian versus what you will earn when you come out. I think it would be bad debt. Like it is just not strictly from a numbers game um, return on investment wise. You know, it's a, there's the opportunity cost of going to school. So for me, I went to school for six years. That's six years that you miss out on earning an income. Six years you miss out on saving money and investing money. So my personal opinion 
for veterinarians is when we graduate from veterinary school, we are behind the financial eight ball, which is why it's really important that we learn the financial game and play it exceptionally well because we need to. Now, that being said, I mean, sure, it's good debt because if that's your dream, you know, to be a veterinarian, there's so many intangibles that aren't on a spreadsheet. You can't argue with that, right? If, if that's the life you want to live and it lights you up and it fulfills you to be a veterinarian, then the numbers, you know, arguably don't matter, yeah. right? And I think numbers wise, I can't recall whether it's an ABVM or AB, uh, ABMA or CVMA article. This is a few years back where it still showed the opportunity cost was worthwhile, but I can't remember what they're using as that base debt. So it is a counter argument to your argument. But again, I, I'm, I'm not here to bias one way or another. I believe you, or I, I understand what your concept is discussing. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm right on that. That's my opinion. You know, like when I look at what I can do with money, how I can deploy it, um, I can make it make more money than, than purchasing a veterinary degree. Okay. So let's go into that then. So you're talking about debt as a tool. Yeah. So and where there, I want- there, there, there's lots of people outside, out there, Dave Ramsey, some others that are very outspoken that say you should never use debt as a tool. You should not be in debt. Tell us what that means when you're saying debt as a tool. So what, what it means to me is how I break out like good debt versus bad debt. Um, th this is moving kind of beyond student debt. So now you've graduated, you're a veterinarian. I look at good debt as debt that will self-service itself. So what I mean by that is you borrow money to purchase an asset of some sort so a business, um, real estate that will produce cash flow that pays off its own debt, right? So that's what my definition of good debt is. Bad debt is purchasing anything else that's not that, right? So consumer goods, buying a TV, buying a boat that sits in your driveway, it does nothing. It doesn't pay off its own debt. Um, I mean, some people will argue, oh, a boat is an asset. I would argue it's a liability. It takes money out of your pocket. Um, but that's my rough definition of, of good debt versus bad debt. And I think for veterinarians to succeed financially, you need to get very good at playing the game of good debt and avoiding the game of bad debt. So, And do you think that we have again, going off script, do you think as veterinarians, we have an unfair advantage being professionals in this arena? So I would say one of the biggest advantages. So yes is the short answer. Now, okay. this is an intangible going back to your question on was student debt worth it? Because if you factor this in, then I almost would flip my answer. So I think one of the biggest advantages that veterinarians have as professionals is their access to credit. And so when I look back at my, um, you know, like let's grab a 10 year period of time, 2008 to 2018. And if you gave me um, a choice, I can either earn a paycheck at $100,000 a year for 10 years, or I can have access to all of the money that the bank wants to give me because I'm a veterinarian that earns 100,000 a year. And I can only choose one of those. I am choosing the access to credit every single time. 
Because for me, looking back, that has been more powerful in my financial journey than the paycheck was. And I, for some listeners, that this may be like, what the hell is Mike talking about right now? I mean, the, the good news is you get both. You don't have to choose. I was just saying that to kind of make a point. You get your paycheck and you can also walk into most banks with decent credit and show your, your long history of employment and how stable your income is. And they will throw money at you. In 2021, that is still the case. It's really interesting as we've gone through the ebbs and flows. And you and me, we've only been out of school, you know, 12 years and going here. Uh, financial crisis, 2008. And we had a pretty good recession downturn here uh, in Western Canada, 2015-16. There is ebbs and flows in that. But from an overall perspective, we are the bank's friends. Yeah. And, and absolutely, and sorry, just to go on that ebbs and flows, absolutely. This whole conversation needs to be prefaced around and built off of the fact that you need to have solid personal financial discipline before you take on debt. If you are not like, I don't want to say the word perfect because you don't, you don't need to be perfect, but you need to be very sound with how you spend your money. You can't be blowing it on all sorts of stuff and borrowing money for bad debt. Once you have that foundation, then you get to go to like, this is sort of a level two strategy and it can catapult you kind of to the, to the next level, in my opinion. Love it. So you go to the bank, you want to use debt as a tool, you're a veterinarian. How do you do that? And how fast do you need to do that considering inflation, interest rates, and all of these other very, very intricate and um, important factors when looking at debt? What do, what do you say to somebody, you know, in the beginning of their journey, middle or towards the end? Well, let's, let's sort of take a step back, go high level, because we still need to get the message across to people listening. You know, why would they want to incur debt? And Perfect. so- Going too fast. Too fast. Really-, really high level. And I mean, I'm not an economic guy. I'm, I'm not a personal finance advisor. This is not advice looking at how money works. So way back, um, you know, previous to 1971, um, the dollar, the American dollar, the USD was tied to gold. So if you had a hundred dollars, hundred American dollars in theory, what that represented was that the government of the United States was holding $100 worth of gold on your behalf. And with that $100 bill, you could exchange it and get gold, right? They were tied together. The reason that this is so important is because in 1971, the United States came off the gold standard. So those two things decoupled, they detached. What that allowed was it allowed, and the reason I'm saying the United States is because the United States is the reserve currency of the world, right? Like when you're trading sort of large level, like oil, most of it, it, it settles like in American dollars. So that's why we're talking about USD. So now that those are decoupled, what that allowed is it allows the central banks and the American government to, to have as much United States dollars as they want, right? They no longer need to hold the equivalent amount of gold in their possession, they can just start printing money, right? Now, this is 50 years ago when that event happened, and we really haven't seen it ramp up until recently. So 2008 is when we first saw it. Um, they call it quantitative easing, 
just a fancy way of saying printing money. Um, you know, it's not even really printing money anymore because it's all electronic. It's just entering digits on computers and bang, now there's more money in circulation. Every time there's more money in circulation, the money that you and I have is worth slightly less, right? So I, um, you know, like to try and say this another way, Jonathan would be, you know, if I was going to give you a million dollars and I would, I could either give you a million dollars in 1972, assuming we were alive then, or I can give you a million dollars today, which one would you have picked? I should technically pick the 1972 every single time. Yes, because that is worth way, way, way more in purchasing power. Because as more and more money gets printed and as inflation continues, what you can actually buy with your money goes down, right? So the reason I'm, I'm kind of drawing this out and pointing all this out is it also works in reverse when you're borrowing money, okay? So if you borrow a million dollars, but you don't have to pay it back for 30 years, when you pay back that million dollars in 30 years, you are actually paying back way, way, well, you're actually paying less, right? Mm -hmm. Because the value of that million dollars is way less, yep. but you got to use it for 30 years. Right. So that's called inflationary debt destruction. And this is why good debt can be such a powerful tool because you get the money today. So when I go buy this apartment building on Friday, all of a sudden, all the money uh, in the form of an asset, which is real estate, is in my possession, is in my hands, is in my control. I don't have to pay that back for years and years down the road. And by the time I pay it back, the value of the money I give them is going to be worth considerably less, right? So that's the power and the tool that, that's in debt. So what is your recommendation? What is a new grad to do? Let's give the example that, you know, they've got a pretty darn good credit score. They've looked after themselves. They're not in credit debt from a, a credit card perspective. Um, how do you get started, Mike? What do you do, right? Okay. And sorry, I'm not trying to be elusive. I'm going to tell another story. And I can't give recommendations, right? So this That's is right. all just- Your opinion. Your opinion, our opinion. This is for educational purposes only. Uh, yes. Okay. So building off of what we just talked about, how the value of money goes down over time in an environment where inflation is happening and governments are printing money. The reason I'm adding that in is things can change, right? All I'm saying is looking back from 2021 in, in my lifetime, this has been true. This podcast may not age well if 10 years from now, all policies change, right? And that could happen. So with what we can only work off of what we know. So we know that money we get now is going to be worth less in time. And let's jump over to the board game Monopoly. Everyone's favorite. It was my absolute favorite as a kid. So you are a new graduate. You are standing on go and we're starting a brand new game of Monopoly. Okay. I'm assuming you played Monopoly, right, Jonathan? Lots and lots and lots. And my sisters hated playing with me. Why did they hate playing? laugh if they listen to this. 
how come they hated playing with you? Because I won every time. Okay. This is good. This is, I don't know where this is going to go. How <laughs> did you win the game of Monopoly every time? I was pretty darn aggressive. I did not go around, go, and then just go around the board, go around the board, go around the board. I was willing to trade, buy, do what I needed to do to get a hold of as many of those properties and start earning rent as quickly as possible. See? Okay, exactly. So, I mean, and we're not, I'm, I'm not going to take this down the political um, tangent because there is a bit of a political tangent we could bring in. Because when we look at like the world, we, we stand on go on the monopoly board. Now the catch is not everyone is starting from the same point, right? And that's where we talk about like, where were you born? If you're born in North America, there's a good chance, you know, you have a huge advantage over someone born somewhere else in the world. And what, so, so playing the game of monopoly, you're a new grad, you start out, you have a little bit of cash. If you want to win the game, you need to start buying assets, right? Like you land on pieces on the board, you need to purchase them. And you need to control them so that when other people land on them, they have to pay you rent. You keep going around the board, you pass go, you get your $200. Your $200 is your paycheck. That's what you got paid for putting in a bit of work. You rolled some dice, you made it around to another paycheck. Here's $200. The catch is just like what we already talked about. As the game keeps going on and on and on, this $200 in Monopoly is coming from the bank. The bank is just sitting, it's the tray of money sitting on the side. More money keeps entering the game. So the money in your hand, every time more money enters the game is slowly worth less, less and less and less, right? So you have two choices when you're playing Monopoly. Go around the board and buy assets or go around the board as fast as you can trying to collect your paychecks. Now, what you're gonna find is the reason you won every time is because you went after the assets. Because it doesn't take very many turns around the board before your destiny is already set. And what I mean by that is, if three quarters of the properties are already purchased and you haven't bought any of them, you know, you're kind of screwed because you're going to keep going around the board. You're going to keep landing on properties, paying rent. You're going to collect your paycheck, but it's worth less than it was last time you collected it. And you're going to keep spiraling down right? Whereas the other way, if you own those assets, your paycheck becomes almost irrelevant. The $200 means nothing to you because you have people landing on your properties all the time, paying you way more than $200, right? And so you have to have that patience and that patience. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, to, to answer your question, if I was a new grad starting out, my, my short answer is buy assets. This is, this is not a real estate pitch at all. I don't care what assets you buy, whether it, you know, start a vet clinic, buy stocks, buy real estate assets, but you need to buy assets that are going to like continue to take advantage of this inflation. Um, a, a funny, I don't know, thought I have is how did all of your um, Monopoly games with your sisters end? Somebody's crying. <laughs> <laughs> somebody didn't want to play anymore. Uh, somebody's broke. Multiple people are broke. Yeah. And I'm laughing. I'm saying this. And I'm laughing because I don't know if I've ever actually finished a game of Monopoly. No. Like Monopoly no. ends when someone somebody gets quits. up and throws the board across the room and all the pieces go flying and the game's just over because it's over. Right. <laughs> totally. And like, I say that like joking, 
and laughing when it's a game. But in real life, we, you have people, you know, on this meta, metaphorical monopoly board that feel hopeless because they don't own any of the assets. They don't own any of the property. They're getting a paycheck that doesn't cover even a trip around the board, right? Like, you know, you still got to buy the essentials of life. And really what it comes down to is um, you get into feeling hopeless, right? Like you can, you can look forward and say, well, another turn around the board isn't going to change my position because I've already gone around the board 10 times. It doesn't matter. Right. And so that's where it's like a, that's more of a political philosophical life conversation of events in the world. But I mean, that plays on. So, I mean, long story short, you got to be buying assets and take advantage of that, you know, inflationary debt destruction. Excellent. So many things we didn't get into in terms of interest rates and how to take advantage of that. And yeah, capitalizing on taxes and business credits and all these pieces that come into also being an owner versus just trying to do it personally, which make a big difference. I know that's been a learning curve for myself and my wife over the last eight, 10 years here. Um, it's funny because debt wise, we were talking about this ahead of the show. Um, I've taken on, we've taken on quite a bit of debt um, with this new business build. It's still less debt than we went when we owned our rental properties. It's still less as a, as a, as a percentage is less as a total dollars. And yet it still feels like a whole lot more and it's for all the right reasons and it would only be, it, in my view, um, it's only possible because of the steps we took in the year or two after graduating from vet school that we're able to do what we're doing now. Yeah. And that's and so, pretty exciting. Uh, to, you know, to, to phrase this another way, let's hypothetically, I, I don't know what it costs to open up a vet clinic. Let's call it a million dollars. Is it a mil- Is that fair? Or is that way? I think it's a really rough estimate. Again, there's some that can start it for 300,000. There's some that start it for... 2 million plus we're right in that million dollar bracket. Okay. So yep. million dollars, 500,000, whatever, it doesn't matter. Pick a number. You basically have two options. You work and you save up money until you have enough money to, to cut a check and pay cash, keeping in mind that this is just the, the amount today. Ne- next year, it might be 600,000, then it might be seven. So are you ever going to catch up to that amount? You know, that's a question you have to ask yourself or you do what you're doing and you take on some debt and that can get you into that asset. Um, you know, and as veterinarians, we were talking like in some situations and I'm not advocating for this, but you can get a hundred percent loan to value. Like a bank will fund all of it. I'm not saying that's what you should do, but it, it's an option. That's, that's correct. And there's a caveat there. It depends on whether you're a startup or if it's existing business, where it is, geographic location, all those other pieces come into play. But the animal health space is um, frothy enough right now that with our stable business model, there are those that want to play in our sandbox without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, because I, I can already hear people yelling at us being like, I can't believe how reckless you guys are telling people to go and take on debt. So wait, we're not, this is for informational purposes only. We're not making any recommendations. Let's be clear on that. Yeah. So I do want to play devil's advocate because we, we should, um, when you are going to take on debt, I mean, it's, again, it has to be stress test. The numbers have to make sense. You don't just go borrow money because someone wants to give it to you. Right. There's a concrete business plan. There is 
the eight years worth of investing that we've done previously that came into their discussion. There is the cross guarantees up the wazoo that even though we're within a corporation, guess what? They're going to come and we are personally responsible if things go south. That is the risks that you take on. If interest rates go up, guess what? We're still responsible for that same amount of debt, but now that cost of servicing that debt has just increased. All of those pieces come into the play of... Uh, let alone what what that cash flow outlay in terms of um, revenues and and net revenues over the next ten years look like. Because for the most part, you're looking at a ten year term on any debt that you take. For I'm speaking now specifically for a vet clinic. Yeah, and on the real estate side, I would say my biggest caution for people is you know real estate is really hot right now. The biggest mistake you could make is overpaying for a piece of real estate that does not cash flow. So what I mean by that is it does not make the payments on your debt, including a stress test. Like you just said, if interest rates go up, you know, two or 3%, you need to be able to build that buffer in. So cautiously, um, you know, jump, jump into the river is like what I would say. And I was telling you about this analogy. I think of, um, there's a, there's a well-known saying it's don't fight the fed. Right. And so the Fed is referring to the Federal Reserve. Again, this is an American reference. But ultimately, you know, Federal Reserve, central bank are, you know, in charge of monetary policy and, and, and interest rates. And so I think of the current environment with interest rates so low, it's basically this like raging river, you know, that's flowing in one direction. And you can choose to be a part of it or not. So in my real estate, um, I literally just renewed a mortgage today at 1.5%, which is locked in. That's, that's locked in. Yeah. That this is on one of our residential houses in my personal name. So that's a better rate than I can get on a commercial apartment building. Um, but I mean, that is, that is unbelievable. When you think of inflation is often reported at 2% side tangent, that is a complete crock because like consumer price index is, is, is garbage. In my opinion, you look at like lumber, the, the right number, oh, it's, the right numbers. And it excludes and includes certain things to at the whim of whichever political parties in power. Yeah. And this is why this conversation gets political, but trying to keep politics out. I mean, facts are facts. Lumber is almost three to 400% more expensive right now. A piece of plywood has gone from $25 to like $75 to $100. That is considerably more than 2%, right? So consumer price index are kind of a crock in my opinion. Um, But anyway, back to the river example, what I'm pointing out there is you kind of have a choice of you can leverage debt to your advantage. And I think about this of like floating in the river with my life jacket on and just letting monetary policy carry me where I need to go because I have these assets of good debt that go are going up in value. It's not like I didn't do anything special. I'm not special. I'm not smart. I don't contribute something to the world that no one else can do. It's just the way of the monetary policy right now. And I'm taking advantage of that. Bad debt is jumping into a river with cinder blocks around your feet and you're, you're going to drown right? So it's really just a choice that I see for people of, you know, don't fight the Fed. If, if that's the direction they're going, you're not strong enough to do it anyway. One person doesn't matter in the global economy. Um, so that's just sort of a rant that I have about, 
you know, using it as a tool for your benefit versus staying trapped in maybe some of your old mindset way of, oh, bet uh, debt is bad and not taking action. And it's like, whether you like it or not, in the last 10 years, you've lost big time, like massively. So now we've just provided a tool and some education on hopefully not losing out on the next 10 years. So really appreciate it, Mike. Learning. I learn from you all the time. Keep coming back. Look forward to our next conversations. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.